Hey everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined by Pastor Ross Anderson. And today, Ross, we have a special guest in the studio with us, Pastor Mark Alstrom. Mark, you're here because today we're going to talk about the Jesus way of radical sexual purity. And you're kind of an expert in this area. So before we jump into Matthew chapter 5 and into everything about this topic today, why don't you just give us a quick little introduction? What gives you the right? Mark? <laughs> why are you here? And, and what, what, what are you going to bring to the story for us? Okay. Well, yeah, you talk about me being an expert in this, and I'd say I'm an expert because I've been an expert in sexual impurity. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I lived a life that was uh, totally ruled by my flesh, and um, I'm actually recovering from sexual addiction. Uh, I know you would, Brian, would say recovered, but we like to say recovering. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've done it all, and and so I understand uh, exactly what Jesus is talking about here um, about the importance of purity and of radical purity. In fact, being radical about it is really the only way uh, to overcome it. To be honest. Yeah, and we'll get to what Jesus actually says for those who are following along at home. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, that's where we're going to be today. That's what we're going to be unpacking throughout the next 30 minutes or so. But Mark, I guess maybe we can at least ask you this question. Is for the person who's listening, who is currently struggling with sexual addiction, with lust, pornography, maybe even infidelity, is there is there hope for that person or... Maybe it's a wife or a husband who's listening and thinking about their spouse. Is there is there hope for their spouse? Well, yeah. I, if there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. I would say um, <clears throat> I'm nobody special, um, but I think the reason that Jesus speaks to it to this is because there is hope. I mean, mm -hmm. he wouldn't even address it if there wasn't a reason for it. And for me, as I as I read throughout the Bible. Um, you know, uh, sexual immorality is talked about over and over and over again. So mm -hmm. it's nothing new. It's been, it's been there for a long, long time, um, but it can be overcome. Uh, and, and Jesus gives a lot of really good tips on how to do that. Yeah, and you, I th we think you're special, by the <laughs> way. I think you're very special. But no, I do think that your story really is inspiring, Mark, that you've got this in your past, and you have victory. You know, whenever I work with a guy who's struggling with this currently, your your example comes up to me. I said there is you can have sustained victory. Maybe maybe you don't say you're recovered, and maybe that that's just we're mincing words here. But you have you are living in sustained victory, um, and people can have that as well. Yeah, and you know we can have sustain, sustained victory in, in all kinds of ways. But but I I say recovering because. At any moment, I could I could go back to my flesh. I still live with my flesh, yeah, right? That's right. Um, but we we have the new nature, and and I can I can operate out of the strength from that new nature that comes from mm. Christ now instead, and that's that's where that victory comes from. It doesn't come from me. Well, then we're all recovering because I could go, even though maybe you, I wouldn't say I've ever had an addiction to that. Any one of us at any point, and this really is, the, maybe this message is for everybody, right? Any one of us at any point can fall prey to this. Yeah. And that's why I think that's why Jesus put this in his, as one of his six antitheses. Ross, before we read this passage, what are we talking about when we use a fancy word like that? Yeah, let's put this into the context of this uh, passage. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, the core part of chapter 5, the latter half of chapter 5, is structured around these six issues that Jesus raises by raising an antithesis. An antithesis means just an opposite. Mm -hmm. And so he says, specifically six times, he says something very much like this, you've heard that it was said, dot, 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 whatever the issue is, but I say to you. Now, in larger context of Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about his relationship with the law, the Old Testament law of Moses. And, and he says, basically, he came to fulfill, not to do away with the law. And now he reveals to us that his way of fulfilling the law is to show us his authority over it and how he points us to the heart intent, the truest intention of the laws it was originally given. He's explaining that 
in contrast to the way the interpretations of the law had developed in Jewish culture. So, Ross, is, he, is Jesus saying with these antitheses that the law doesn't matter, or that the law was a mistake, or that the law doesn't have to be followed today? He says in verse 17 that, um, you, know, you know, heaven and earth might pass away, but the law will never pass away. He never, he did not intend to, um, to diminish it in any way. No, the law, but the law in the Old Testament is, is fulfilled in Jesus because it points us forward to what we're calling in this series the Jesus way. Mm. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate definition of how we live as people of God. The law set the, the basis for that. Jesus kind of brings it home, you might say, by giving us the fullest expression of that. Okay, so last week we talked about murder and anger and reconciliation, and today we're going to talk about the Jesus way of radical purity. Let's go to the text, Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus says this, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say, there's the antithesis, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away, because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And then he says it again, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So this is the second antithesis of Jesus in this section in his Sermon on the Mount. And here's, here's the first thing we're going to try to help everybody to understand today. What Jesus is saying here is that adultery is just the tip of the iceberg for lust. We talked about this iceberg image last week when we talked about murder being the tip of the iceberg for anger. The thing that was un underlying anger or underlying murder was anger. The thing that's underlying adultery is lust. And Jesus even, I believe Jesus is saying that it's, it's rooted in part by seeing people as objects. In other words, objectifying people. And objectifying people is nothing new, right? We, we see this even when we go all the way back to the commandment that Jesus is referencing in the Ten Commandments. Ross explained to us how men back then, thousands of years ago, thought of women as objects as well. Right. Now, this isn't necessarily inherent in the, in, in the original commandment, but it certainly is inherent in the way that the Jewish culture interpreted that commandment, that adultery was seen not so much as a breach of a relationship or a covenant relationship, uh, but it was seen at least in some sense as the equivalent of theft. So, you know, if you, if you commit adultery with another man's wife, you stole his wife from him, in a sense. Now, I would say that that's a little bit... Uh, that, that is a direction that's a little bit surprising in light of the whole Old Testament, because, because God talks about his relationship with his people in terms of a marriage of faithfulness, and when, when his people were unfaithful to him by going after other gods, idols, and so forth uh, like that, he always spoke about that in terms of adultery, mm. in terms of spiritual adultery. That's part of the backdrop of this passage. So that wouldn't be considered a theft. But you could see that the human culture, the, the people who were interpreting the Old Testament law were all men, rabbis, and, and they nudged it in the direction of objectifying women as objects that could be stolen. Now, Mark, today... That's not how our culture sees women. That's not the way in which we objectify women. We don't see them as property, kind of like a car or a house. But speak to this for a second when it comes to lusting after a woman. How is it that when a young man lusts after a woman, this is something I've talked about with my son, that essentially you're objectifying that woman? What does that mean? Well, I think you are literally turning them into an object to for um, your own selfish desires, um, <clears throat> you know, sex was created by God, right? And it was created for a purpose. It was created to be a good thing. It was created be, be, between a man and a woman, one man, one woman mm -hmm. for life. Um, but this is all—it's it, all become very corrupted, and it's become a very selfish thing in today's uh, day. It's. Um, it's all about me. It's all about gratifying myself. And that's really what lusting is. It's, it's gratifying myself 
um, seeking to just feed my flesh when, when, um, really relationship and, and sexual relationship, uh, between a man and a woman, it's meant to be selfless. It's Mm -hmm. meant to be, um, you're mutually serving one another. You're mutually, um, trying to, to please each other. And, and lust goes in the opposite direction of that. It becomes a selfish thing. And I think that's what we see today. That's where pornography comes in. That's where, you know, the magazines and things that we see, movies we watch, we see um, people are completely objectified because that's what we see sex as now. It's all about feeding my selfish flesh. <laughs> well, right. And you don't need a person, not to be crude here, you don't need a person if you have an object like a magazine. Mm-hmm. So, right, that's not a personal thing at all. There's, no, there's not a personal interaction when you're using pornography to satisfy yourself in this way. Young men, think about this, young women as well, by the way. We'll talk about that here in a second. But you're, what, you're, what you're saying here is this, is this is not a personal thing, that you are an, I'm a person, but you're an object. Right, and that's, and that's something that plays out even in marriages now. We see... Um, sex is kind of viewed as this thing that, you know, well, you just need to gratify my desires and yeah, I'll, I'll gratify things for you, but that's, that's not what it is either. In fact, it's lust and love are two very, very different things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really gotten muddled in our world today. And here's, here's why it breaks my heart for young people because young, I think young people, this is why I feel so strongly about this for my two kids who are you know, around 20 years old is I want to make sure that they don't break themselves, that they don't have just a whole, a whole different way of seeing sexuality in our hypersexual culture. We live in a culture that just teaches us something so opposite of what Jesus is teaching in this passage. It really is hypersexual. Just do what you want, be with whomever you want to be with. And it's, so it's no surprise then that marriages, you know, there's in, even the ones who do get married, fidelity is not really a, a very strong value. And we'll, we'll talk later in this series about divorce. I think maybe that's next that's, week. That's next week. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll get into that topic a little bit more. It's kind of an extension of this topic. But I, I guess for me, one of the questions we have when we read this passage before we go any further is Jesus is referring to men here. Jesus is talking to men here. Mark, does that, well, maybe Ross, you first. Does that mean that women are off the hook, that women don't have to worry about this except if they're married to their husband and they want to make sure their husband reads this? Well, I think it's possible for women to objectify men sexually. And so if we're, if we're traveling down that path and we could say, yeah, there's, a, there's an application here, maybe in that cultural setting and maybe even in humanity, maybe men might be more prone to um, you know, visual lust, visual response of lust, but certainly women are not exempt from that, especially as you're saying, Mark, in the in the sexualized culture that we live in today, um, there's so much opportunity for that to be fueled for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mark, what have you seen in working, you know, you run some groups, some recovery groups on this topic. What have you seen? Is it is it all men or sometimes do women come in? No, in fact, it's been surprising to me because that's kind of what I thought <clears throat> as I, you know, went went through my own recovery was that this was kind of just a, a man's problem. But as I've, um, I, I lead a recovery group, I've seen more and more women come through this group who have struggled in this exact same way. And I think, uh, you know, it's becoming more and more a problem as we, you know, we talk about what a sexualized society we live in. And uh, I think women from, you know, maybe it, maybe it did start with men, <laughs> but, but women have, have definitely gotten caught up in the exact same thing now. And, and I see a lot more of that happening, of, of women being caught up in it. Yeah, sexual sin has become, suddenly has become an equal opportunity sin, for sure. And I've noticed that... I think about this always in terms of my son because I relate more to my son in this area. Obviously, he's a, he's a guy, but I have to remember my daughter needs this too. My daughter needs to hear this as well. She needs to hear the Jesus way because we're hearing all of these other ideas out there. Our kids and, and all of us, really, we're getting these other messages from our culture. So it's really refreshing to see what Jesus says about it. And and we're going to see Jesus is going to tell us that we need to take it seriously. We're going to get to that. But first, Jesus tells us that sin follows a predictable pattern. And this is where we're going to go back to the iceberg. You know, 
the tip of the iceberg is adultery, right? But there's a couple, there are a few other things in this pattern that happens before that even happens. And number one, it's going to be your, your eyes. These are Jesus's words. He says, remember Matthew 5, 28, we're just going to kind of break this for this verse down for a minute here. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it seems to me that Jesus is catching on, and maybe because Jesus was a man. And I think for men in particular, and Jesus was fully man, right? So that doesn't, you know, I think he was tempted too. He had, Jesus had eyes. And Mark, maybe you can speak to this, how men in particular are, are visual, we're stimulated visually. Yeah, I think, you know, that's kind of a general common knowledge uh, that we are stimulated visually. Um, and and it does, it doesn't just, it, it doesn't ha- ever stop there, really. I, I mean, unless we, we really have a handle on it and we're, we're aware, uh, it usually doesn't stop there. As soon as I see something visually that, that I like, that, that attracts me, then I want to pro- start processing thoughts about it. And that's what, you know, when you're talking about this, this tip of the iceberg thing, that's exactly how it starts. It, it's always something small. And the more I entertain it, the more th- I think about it. And, and then eventually I do want to, uh, it, it will lead to a lot more than, than just that. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 4 says, verse 25, look straight ahead. And, and Proverbs 4, is a lot of that is actually spoken, Proverbs 4 and 5 are spoken in the context of sexual purity. And the author says, look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies be- before you, mark out a straight path for your feet, stay on the safe path, don't get sidetracked, keep your feet from following evil. The last part of that passage talks about your feet, your actions, which we're getting to, but the first part of it is your eyes. He says, look straight ahead, fix your eyes, pay attention, guys and women too, pay attention to what you let yourself see. Right, and I think also what you let yourself look at again. So that's a part of the progression, mm-hmm. right? I may notice some, I may notice an attractive woman or whatever, that, uh, there's a grammatical thing in in where, where Jesus says in in he says if any man looks at a woman there's a grammatical implication that that could mean c- keeps on looking mm. or continues to look so you know, it's not a sin to notice but when I look when I turn again and look look the second time or when I sustain the gaze that's when the thoughts become engaged Mark like you're talking about and I've and I've just permitted um, myself to to start down a slippery slope at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, you know, it, it's not just when you say those words, Ross. I think about go, you know, maybe you're out at the coffee shop or you're having lunch with somebody, and certainly it applies to that. Of course, I think we can all relate to that. But I think it even applies when you're sitting in your home by yourself mm-hmm. and you're sc- scrolling through the channels, right, Mark? And mm-hmm. something jumps up there, and maybe your wife's not home or your kids aren't home or whatever. Your room, if you're a young person, your roommate's not home, or maybe you live by yourself, and that's I think where you can get in trouble. Yeah, it's well, it's really tough today. Like you, you talk about, you know, just watching TV. You know, you look at our smartphones, you, scrolling through YouTube mm-hmm. or social media at all. The ads that will pop mm-hmm. up are just insane. That and I, I've had to um, really make sure that I am extremely careful that you know maybe something I do come across is something that that has you know it's it's tempting. If I do engage it, I am in I am in a sl- on a slippery slope, and it's extremely dangerous to me. Um, and it's it's all about being <laughs> being really really aware of of just um, exactly where the danger lies. And the danger lies like we're talking about right at the beginning. It begins with the eyes. And if I'm going to sit there and and entertain that, it's going to lead to more. It just always does. Yeah, so you're right. So it's it's out there in the public. It's watching TV. Or I'm glad you said that, Mark. Maybe even more importantly, it's especially for our young people. It's the apps that you have on your phone. I'm, I know my son has deleted Snapchat from his phone. I don't know how many different times because in, in Instagram, these are these for him are those triggers for him. And so one of the things for him, young people, as you're listening, is he just puts his. He puts his phone away at night. He doesn't bring it down to his room. He charges it in our room uh, when he was in high school. 
now he's in college, he's on his own, but hopefully those habits he's able to take with him to college. But those are some things that we'll get, we'll get to here in a second. But there's also th- this idea, I don't remember the book, but there's, there's this idea of bouncing your eyes, R- right, Ross? You don't, you see someone who's attractive or you're, you see something on your phone or on TV or whatever, and then you bounce your eyes. You don't, you discipline yourself. You don't allow yourself to keep looking or to look a second time. And there's a really cool passage in Numbers 15 so this shows us that this isn't a new thing because Moses is, the Lord says this to Moses in Numbers 15. He says, give, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. I know this sounds weird, but just hang with me. You'll see where I'm going with this. He says, when you see the tassels, they'll be like a trigger. You'll remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling, defiling yourselves as you're prone to do. I love that passage. It reminds me of the WWJD bracelet, or actually we have uh, we have these Lust Sucks bracelets um, that's got Job 31.1 on the back of it, and and these are these are great reminders. When you look at it, it's a great reminder, kind of like what we see in Numbers 15. It's a reminder that we're prone to follow our own desires. We're prone to defiling ourselves. And so sometimes visual reminders like that are helpful for people to stay on the right path. Yeah, I I think that's one of those things I find really interesting, you know, about the the Mosaic Law and and just the the extreme measures that they would go to, right? It was about, um, you know, putting the phylacteries on their forehead, right, where they would put a, a, a Bible verses basically in boxes on their forehead. And, you know, he said, put these things on your, on your heads and on your hands. And, and it wasn't that there was something magical about it. It was about those were, those were reminders, Mm. right. And being extreme about those reminders. I I think that's something that maybe we, we um, kind of take for granted now is, is to put these kind of reminders around us. Um, In fact, that's one of the things that I did. (laughs) One of the first things I did on my phone to, try to help me is my background uh, was a cross. And so every time I turn my phone on, I, that's a reminder to me. And, and I don't have it right now, but um, I, I do from time to time. And it was something that, that helped me remember, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that there's something to that. There really is. Yeah, there is. To a point, which I think leads to the, where, we're, where we're headed on this, because if my heart isn't engaged then all the reminders and all the physical mm. things that I do, they're only going to, after a little while, they're going to become part of the part of the uh, wallpaper, right? They're going to just blend into the background. And I'll see it, but I'll quit seeing it in the sense if my heart's not engaged and my heart's not being, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm, if I want to uh, lust after, you know, if I want to do it, then all the reminders, I'm just going to blow past the reminders mm. anyway, right? That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So that, there's our second one. So the, predictable pattern that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 5, 28. He says, first of all, it starts with your eyes. If you look at a woman, number two, then the next step, and this is still beneath the surface. Nobody sees this yet. I think it's important. Now, maybe they see you looking, but generally that's, it's, this is, you know it, God knows it, but maybe nobody else even knows it. Young people, your parents might not even know what's going on. It starts with your eyes and then, then, then it goes to your heart, right? He says, you've committed adultery with her in your heart already. So that's already happened before you've ever done it on the outside, right? What is, Ross, when when Jesus or when the Bible mentions heart, what are they talking about? Is it your physical, is it the physical organ of your heart? Yeah, no, this is, you know, we, we use the word heart in our culture today to talk about the seat of our emotions, you know, like my heart was broken or or something, but but biblically, it's a little more than that. It's the whole. It's like the inner you. It's a sense, not just emotions, but it's your faculty of thinking and how you evaluate ideas, acknowledge, and so it's really kind of we would say maybe mind, will, and emotion. It's the inner you. Mm. Uh, we don't have a perfect word in English that captures maybe your soul would be a sense of what that means. It's the whole inner you. I do think it's interesting, though. It's it's it's. The, at least the way we're saying it, it's not the heart first and then your eyes. A lot of times it is something as superficial as your eyes. You know, there's a there's this concept in football, Ross, you know, this called eye discipline. I've noticed they talk about this a lot now. 
eye discipline means that there's there's some movement in the backfield. You're a defender, and there's some movement in the backfield, and you fall for it. And that means your eyes are following that guy, and you and you get distracted. It worked. Their offensive scheme worked. You get distracted. Well, that's exactly what Satan's doing. He's trying to catch us off guard, and that means it, it calls for good eye discipline on our part that we we're paying attention to where we're looking because if we don't, then again, the next step here is then it's actually going to begin to impact the inner us. It's going to impact our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It determines the next thing, which is, which is as we're going to see, it's going to be your actions. Mark, what what have you seen in this particular, just in your own life, right? That you've, you know, when you had your struggle, you weren't a believer, right? right? So I think it speaks your victory that you've had. Maybe you can speak to how Jesus, what Jesus has to do with all that. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I needed a, <laughs> I needed a new heart because you know the first time that I realized that I had a problem, um, I and I, like you said, I wasn't a believer. I, I wanted to just solve this thing on my own. And it was like you were talking about, Ross, um, you know, I can, I can bounce my eyes and look at things all I want, you know, try and look at other things all I want. But until there's a heart change, until there's real uh, will and passion for something else, I, I will go right back to that. And so that's what had to happen in my life is, I, I really, I had to give my life over to Christ, and that's the only time I ever was given a new heart with new passions, mm. new desires, right? It says that, that he'll put new desires in us, and that's what really happened. Not that I don't still have those those old desires, but now I have new desires mm. that the more I um, build those desires, the more I, I, I feed those desires, the stronger they grow. And those old desires that I had no longer hold the same power over me anymore. Mm. And so the heart really is where it, where it all comes from. And we'll get to some real practical steps about what, what does it look like, someone with a new heart, what are some things you can do on the offensive? But let's talk about this last part of the predictable pattern. So Jesus says it starts with your eyes, and then something happens in your heart, the inner you. And then finally, then obviously you get the out the outer actions the ultimate of which is adultery but there are all kinds of other activities that you can do that are above the surface that you fall into doing right like accessing pornography in the in the first place masturbation whatever it is that is ab- above the surface that you end up inevitably you end up doing if if you don't cut it off in those first two steps yeah it's well i know for me that's that's how it always began was all these above service things like you're talking about and there's a lot of them like you pointed out there mm. there's a lot that you can do that you think isn't harming anybody else cuz nobody else knows about it mm. but that is that is such a lie that is that is a lie of satan um, because i was destroying myself i know and i i've seen the destruction that it causes in other people whether whether they're even married or not, whether they're even, you know, even ever getting to this point of actual adultery, I, this this above surface stuff is extremely destructive from the beginning. Yeah, not to mention the, the harm that it does to young women who are caught up in the trade, mm-hmm. who are not. Mm-hmm. Believe me, they're not all voluntarily signing up. You know, I want to be a porn star. Yeah. You know. Yeah, in fact, the majority of them are are not voluntarily in that. From yeah. the re- what is what the research says, which just breaks my heart to think these are people. This is what Jesus. This is how Jesus looks at these are people. These aren't objects. I, I like to say to men because a lot of these men doing this are Christian men. They they say they love Jesus and the, and yet they're 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 in the grip of this terrible addiction. But it would they wouldn't. I don't think they'd appreciate if their daughter was the one being objectified, right? This is somebody's daughter. Uh, and, and that just break. and it's God's daughter. It's a child of God. This is a child of God. And that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons that this is a problem, but that's certainly one of the biggest reasons in my mind. It, J- James says it like this, James 1.15, he says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. He's talking about this progression. It, it gives birth, they give birth to sinful actions. It goes from the heart to your actions. And then he says, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
which is really, that's kind of what adultery does. Adultery is the tip of the iceberg, but really then what ends up happening is just death. Even sometimes before it gets to adultery in a married couple's life, death of the relationship, death of the marriage, a lot of times just such destruction on the lives of the children involved. Death of finances. I, I believe aside from illness, I think divorce is the number one cause, or sorry, yeah, divorce is the number one cause of poverty, I think, yeah. something like that. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's so expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Divorce is, you're splitting up a household. Usually that means one, or if not both of them are going to be in hardship now financially. So there's all, there's relational death, there's emotional death, there's just so much death and destruction that comes into play because it all just started with this little, simple, little, seemingly innocent seed of lust. Yeah. And I, I can speak for myself that it did lead to death. Um, you know, I, I, I had infidelity that I committed in my own marriage and, um, you know, even, even my wife and I will both admit now that, that the relationship we had to begin with, it, it did die. Mm. We have a new relationship now. We have a new marriage that's centered on Christ and is is more amazing um, than I ever could have imagined. But but we will both tell you that our our original relationship, our first marriage, it died. It it did. It completely died. And so I I truly believe that that Bible passage. Mm. So Jesus doesn't just end it there. He doesn't end it on that kind of sour note, like too bad, this is terrible, what a terrible thing. He actually gives us a strategy. And what he what he's going to teach us to do here at the end of this passage is to radically eliminate the threat. Listen to his words, verses 29 and 30. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away, it's better for you to lose one eye or one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it at, throw it away. Ross, is Jesus saying that we should literally maim ourselves um, in order to overcome this lust problem? Okay. The answer, is, the answer to that is no. But in saying that, we don't want to um, minimize the effect of what he's saying. He's using a very radical statement, a very exaggerated statement to say, look, do what it takes. Do what it takes. Now, because we know, okay, now, in the past, some people have taken this literally. There's a, a third-century theologian named Origen who actually did gouge out or cut off something. I can't remember what he did. But, <laughs> um, but here's the thing. You can still lust without eyes. Mm. You can still have lustful desire and an impure heart. You know? so, so the external... Okay, so the external eyes hands you know that's that's the uh, above the surface of the of the that doesn't address what's below the surface mm-hmm. so but he's saying look you got to take it seriously it really matters and purity is worth the cost is i think part of what he's saying there as well yeah i can't even imagine what it would have been like for origin there he is with a bandage over his eye you know and then he has a lustful thought and he's like oh no. Dang. What did I do? Dang. Yeah. All right. So I, you know, I think about eliminating the threat. I've got an FBI friend who, um, whenever we hang out with him, Tracy, my wife, always has all kinds of questions for him. She just loves. She loves that kind of stuff. She loves that kind of world. And she says, if somebody were, if somebody were coming for you, right, with everything in the news right now, everything in with police brutality, whatever. If somebody's, if there's a danger, if there's a threat coming at you or coming at somebody else, don't you just shoot? Don't you just try to aim at their knee? Don't you aim at their ankle? Don't you just try to shoot the gun out of their hand? And he he kind of mocked us a little bit for thinking so simplistically. And I rem- I'll never forget what he said. He said, here's what we're taught. You eliminate the threat. And we kind of had to push him on that. We're like, what do you mean by that? You eliminate the threat. It was his way of saying, no, you shoot to kill. That's what we're trained to do. We're trained to shoot in a situation like that. We are trained to shoot to kill. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't mess with it. Don't, don't play around with it. You need to shoot to kill. And Mark, is this, is this resonating with some of the recovery principles that you teach in your classes? Yeah, big time. You know, what, what we like to tell people when they, when they come seeking help originally is, are you really willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to overcome this? Because it's going to take being radical. You need to be 
extreme. Um, because as you've seen, you're, you're powerless over this. Um, that's what we say in recovery. That's the first step is, you know, that we're powerless over it. Um, and, and if you're not willing to be extreme, especially if, if you do have an addiction, you know, anybody listening, if, if you really have struggled with, with, you know, whether it's pornography or, or whatever, um, and you haven't been able to overcome it and you really think you have an addiction, it will take extreme, extreme measures hmm. because as extreme as you've been in, in feeding your addiction and hiding it and, you know, living your double life, you need to be that extreme in trying to overcome it. Well, and I think part of the motivation when people aren't willing to be extreme is because they don't really want to quit, mm -hmm. right? So I want to leave a back door open, so I'm going to try to quarantine it instead of eliminate it. Mm. Right? Yeah, and a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, am I really willing to surrender? Um, am I really willing to surrender all of myself over to God? Or do I just want to surrender this one little part of my life over to God? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. That's the difference that I see. The people who really want this new life, who want to surrender their life over to God, will find victory in it. Those that, that aren't to that point will continue to struggle. Mm. Yeah, and isn't there, isn't there this lie that you know, maybe there are people listening today who they still think this is beneath the surface. In other words, they haven't been exposed, they haven't been caught. Um, it's not out there yet. It's not above the surface yet. It certainly hasn't been adultery, or maybe it is, but whatever it is, it's still hidden enough that they think they can handle it. I've heard this from a lot of people. I want to try to handle it on my own terms. I know it's a sin. I know it, if you're a Christian, I know it's a sin. I know it's wrong. I don't want this to have mastery over me anymore. But one of the lies that we can believe is that we can just, we can handle it on the DL, right? We can, like you're saying, Russ, we can quarantine it instead of shooting to kill, Right. Is this is this a temptation for people who are early on in this addiction? Yeah, I think it's you're you're tricking yourself. You're mm -hmm. you're listening to the lies of the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I would say if um, if you can do this on your own, why haven't you? Mm. You know, <laughs> and, that, question, and that's what yeah. it comes down to. Right. Yeah. I mean, unless you really do want to continue doing it, if you do want to continue doing it, then I, I don't think you would even be bringing it up about quitting. Right. But the people who do bring it up, they are. They're, they're um, feeling convicted that this is a problem. And so I would, that's what I would say. If you can do it on your own, if you can isolate this thing, keep it secret, and fight this battle on your own and overcome it, then why haven't you? Let's finish our podcast today with just some really practical action steps for people to take. You know, I've, I mentioned um, cutting off, maybe not your hand, or gouging out your eye, but what are some things people can cut off, right? What are some pe things that people maybe need to get rid of in their life? Let's maybe help people by making a list. I'll start, I would say, um, cutting off, maybe eliminating, take, deleting some apps on your phone that you know are triggers for you. Just get rid of them. And and I know the, the thing is, well, what if, what if, what if that's how I, young people especially, what if that's how I communicate with my friends? That's That's what I hear from people. Okay. Well, what's more, what you tell me what's more important to you, right? If it's really a problem, maybe that's, maybe if you've never tried that step, maybe that's a step you can try. Yeah. I, I know for myself, I had to, I had to cut out all kinds of things for my life. I had to, uh, cut out social media, um, because that was, that was a trigger for me. That was a, that was an area that I utilized in a bad way that the enemy <laughs> used in a bad way through me as well. Um, and so it, it does, it comes down to, am I willing? Yeah, it's going to take sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Is it worth it to you? That's the real question. Am I, is this worth it to me to make that sacrifice or not? And if it's not, then you really need to question, do you really see how dangerous this is, how dangerous this sin really is? Um, so I had, to, I had to look at movies that I watch music that I listen mm. to, you talk about apps on your phone, uh, all of those things, people that we hung out with, mm. um, we had to start to just think about the things that we were doing on the weekends and, um, you know, parties that we were going to. Is this glorifying God or is this pointing me in the other direction? Because as an addict, for me, it's taken me one direction or it's taken me the, the other direction. If it's going to be glorifying to God, 
then it's going to be healthy for me. It's going to help me. If it's not, it's going to pull me back into that, um, the desires of my flesh. And, and that's how extreme I had to be with it. Let's talk more about cutting off relationships. Okay, I've got two, two use cases here. Number one, uh, there's a married person out there listening right now who's having an affair. And I know this because I've talked with people like this before, and I've had to talk them into cutting off the relationship, which is the craziest thing I, I can even ever imagine, that I had to try to convince them to cut off the relationship. So if you're listening and you're actively having an affair, e- even if your spouse doesn't know it, cut off the relationship. It's not a, well, what about them? I want to be a good witness to them. Okay, whatever. I mean, seriously, these are the you things already, I've... You already lost that battle, Exactly. Right? These are some of the things I've heard. It's craziness. You know the right thing to do. Cut the relationship off and then come clean with your spouse. But what about an unmarried person? What about a young person, a young adult, a, a, stu- a teenager that might be listening? What about if they've been... What, what if, if they've been sexually active with this person? I would even say that probably that's a relationship you just need to cut off, at least for now. Just cut, cut that relationship off. Because it's, it's one thing to say we're just not going to have sex anymore. But the truth is, I mean, I know, Mark, you can speak to this, but the truth is I just think that's so, when that's been part of your relationship, maybe what just needs to happen is you just need to let that relationship be done at least for a season of time. Right. I mean, you, you can't put that, that toothpaste back in the tube in a sense mm. because there's something that happens. God designed sexuality to have a bonding effect. Within marriage, that's an awesome thing that makes us feel super close to each other, but it has a bonding effect regardless of whether you're married to that person or not. And so you're going to be, you're not going to be objective about that relationship because you have experienced that oxytocin and that bonding kind of chemical and that, that whole reaction, and so you lose objectivity about that relationship. That's why it makes it so hard to cut it off. Mm. That's why it's so important to cut it off. Amen. Yeah, in fact, it's really um, it's destructive. There's, there's a reason that we were meant to be with one person and one person only. You know, I imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve, clear back at the beginning. I mean, there was no... There was no none of this other garbage out there. It was just like they they came together and they learned and they discovered each other, right? And and there was no there was no wrong. There was nothing hmm. like getting in the way of that. But now we live in this world where we are all so sexually broken. You know, there is there is that connection. You there is a, a sex is so holy that there's this this spiritual connection that's made. Whether you want to act like um, sex is is not that intimate or not, if you want, it, it is. Whether you're trying to act like it is or not, and there's a piece of you that you give to somebody when you engage in in intercourse with them. It's it's it it just happens. And I know from personal experience, the 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 multiple partners that I've had have taken away um, from that that sexual intimacy. Uh, with my wife, even even to this day, I, I think, you know, our intimacy isn't what it would be if if she'd been the only one. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What about cutting off? I'm still thinking of things to cut off, guys. We're not going to go too far with this because <laughs> there's one thing I'm thinking about that might just solve all of it. But then you might be kind of like Origin, like, man, I still have lustful thoughts. It still wouldn't solve <laughs> below the surface, right? That's right. So we won't go there. Although there is some question of, if, about when Jesus says your hand, your right hand, right. that that might have been a euphemism. It might have been a euphemism for uh, another part of the male anatomy, yes. Yeah. Anyway, everybody can go look that up for yourself if you want to, but don't Google it. Um, <laughs> but I will say you can cut off... Uh, like I said before, man, I'm telling you, there is so much junk on TV right now, on Netflix, on Hulu, on Peacock, on whatever. So number one, quit watching crap. Even if you're, uh, if, even if you say, "But I watch it with my spouse," quit watching that stuff. That's what I would say. Quit it. Just don't. Trace and I were watching. We started watching something that was pretty popular out there, and she she finally just said to me the other day, she's like, "Should we watch this?" Do we even need to watch this? And we th- and we really kind of had to think about. And it wasn't this wasn't particularly sexual, but it was just not. It wasn't just wasn't good because we don't generally we just have a real low threshold of tolerance for that. 
And I think everyone should. I think every Christian should have a very low threshold for that kind of stuff. But we just said, you know what? It's not worth it to us. We're not going to watch it. We just stopped watching it. If you have a hard time doing that, cancel your subscription to Netflix. I think the costs are going up anyway. So just save the money. Give it to God. Give it to your church. Cut off whatever it takes. I, I think some people just don't don't go far enough, Mark. Would you say that that's true, that they just don't go far? They're not extreme enough when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, well, we we struggle with wanting to enjoy the world and and, and still um, and still try to live a God honoring life. We we just continue to struggle with that wanting to have one foot in and one foot out kind of thing. And and I'll you know, I'm sure there are things in my life that I probably, you know, need to evaluate as well. And I'm, you know, like you said, you and you and Tracy do. Well, Trace and I have done the same thing where we've had to evaluate some things. Like, is this really something that we should be doing? And it does, it, it honestly, it, it, it will bring you nothing but, um, but, but more and more joy, um, in the Lord more and a closer relationship with him, cutting those kinds of things out. And that's really what we're here to do is is grow closer to Him so that we can draw more people to Him. And if that's not my goal, if if all these other things are more important than that, then I need to evaluate where where my priorities are at. Yeah, and that speaks to an interesting issue. Like related to that, I think is the idea of a lot of Christians they want it both ways, and so the way of thinking is like, well, how far can I go and still get away with it? Mm. Right? Well, Jesus, this the heart of this verse here, this passage, Jesus, it's not, it's not about how far can you go, it's about do you really own and uphold and are you pursuing God's purpose for marriage, for relationships, for sexuality? It's not like, oh, I'm gonna, I can get away with this because I didn't do that. It's more like, wow, God has this great purpose, let's, let's run after it mm-hmm. and go for it. Yeah, that's what the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the time got caught up in, right? It was... What finding out everything that I cannot do, and f- instead of focusing on what should I do, it's it's not about what can't I do, it's what should I do, mm. and I think that's really that that talks about the heart of it. What should we be doing? You know. So let's just finish with that. We call it the trifecta for Christian living. These three things that we we talk about this in the pursuit. Uh, when we talk about the fact that God wants us as Christians to honor God, you can't honor God if you don't regularly practice these three things or 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 I guess tap into these three things, God's Word, God's Spirit, God's people. So real quick, guys, God's Word. If people aren't in the Word, if you're not letting God's Word on a daily basis get in you, shape you, change you, transform the way you think, then I don't know, I don't know what you guys think. I don't, I don't see there ever being victory for someone if they're not connected on a regular basis to God's Word. Yeah, we need to have we need to have our minds transformed. We talked about how the process leads quickly to the thoughts and how what we entertain our thoughts. And it, and if we're not filling our thoughts with the word of God, to, to me this is like that's the only way that the landscape of our brain gets gets um, changed. If you think about a physical landscape, you got to bring in, you know, waterfalls, it immediately runs to the channel and it's going to run down that channel. How do I re-landscape the channels of my mind mm. so that when a thought comes in, it's really immediately going to find its way down to that well-worn groove, you know? Well, it, it takes, like, like the Word of God is the bulldozer, it's the earth mover that's mm. kind, of, kind of moving things around so I can shape new channels so that my thoughts more automatically go in different directions than in the past. Yeah, I think neuroscience calls those synapses, right? That And one of the cool things that science is discovered about the way God made our brains, and this is good news, is that we can we can form new channels, we can form new synapses, we, but it takes discipline, just like any habit. Any habit of s- sexual sin is something that you form over time, so it's hard to break it's hard to break those bad habits. Well, the good news is it's also hard to break good habits. So that's why you have to tap into the trifecta, get into God's word on a daily basis. Um, tap into God's spirit, which one of the ways obviously to do that is through prayer and worship, like make that a regular 
part of your life. Don't just be the kind of person who just throws up a prayer once a month when you need a when you need a a, a special grade on that test or when you want a new job or when you're really struggling in the moment. If you're struggling with lust in the moment, you're probably not going to throw up a prayer, by the way. But if you've been bathed in prayer the whole day before you went on that date or before you turned on the TV or your phone, then maybe that's going to start making an impact in your choices. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, if you're only going to pray when you're when you're tempted or when you're you're in a tough spot, I mean, you're... You, you have to build that, you know, it's, it is, it's a, it's like a, a spiritual muscle. I've heard Eric talk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor Eric talk about, you know, it's, it's like going to the gym where, you know, you start with this, these small weights and you, you know, those muscles are only going to be so strong doing those small weights. It takes uh, discipline and continually uh, building those muscles up so that when those temptations come, when the, when the, when the difficulties come along, now I have that that spirit is strong in me to tackle that. If I'm not if I'm not building that up, I'm not going to be prepared for those battles. And then the last one is God's people. And Mark, you know how important that is. Uh, you know, it, it really strikes me talking about it radically eliminating the threat. It strikes me to be around re- people in recovery because I know that a lot of guys, in, especially when they're just coming out of this addiction with drugs or porn or whatever, but especially with drugs and alcohol, these guys, isn't it true, Mark, that these guys look for a recovery group to go to every night of the week in a lot of cases? Yeah, a lot of them are, are pretty extreme right at the beginning. And, and even, you know, I was myself, um, maybe not as extreme as some of them, but I was going to multiple groups throughout the week. Um, and yeah, it's it's about changing your environment, changing the people that you're around, because they do, they have a bigger impact on you than you think. You know, in recovery, we talk about this very thing of, of eliminating triggers and, and, you know, threats. It's getting rid of people, places, and things. Mm. And, and people is probably the biggest, I would say, because um, when it comes to God's people, it's not just about that we've, we're getting rid of the bad people in our life, but we're hanging around with people who also have the Spirit of Christ in them. And the Spirit of Christ in them can speak to me the same way that, you know, God can speak to me through prayer as well. And so that's really powerful. Yeah, so find a band of brothers, find a small group, find a recovery group. If You know, for the people who are listening who they would say, I'm not sure if it's an addiction yet, but I struggle with porn, I struggle with lust, be honest, be vulnerable find at least a hand, wouldn't you say, Mark, find at least a handful of, of godly men or women, same sex, mm-hmm. and, and be real with them about it, unburden yourself to them, let them share the burden with you. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe they're going to be struggling with some of the same stuff. And so that group can really be part of, part of this thing that Jesus is talking about, that you're eliminating, you're being radical you're changing everything, and, and that includes who you're hanging out with. So make sure to hang out with God's people. Guys, thanks for talking about this. And I want to end with just a, a one more passage of Scripture. This is from Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And so thanks for listening, everybody. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with someone that you think might be able to uh, benefit from this. I know that many of us have friends who struggle with this. Many of us, most of us struggle with this, if we're being honest with ourselves. And we have friends who struggle. It's a great gift that you could give someone to share this link with them. And make sure to join us next week for our third lesson in this Jesus Way series. And to find all of these resources online, go to PursueGod.org forward slash Jesus Way.